I invite you back to Numbers chapter 14. We have entitled the message, Judgment on Unbelievers. Let's just unite our heart together, please, in a word of prayer. As we come to this passage, uh, the Lord might instruct us and teach us. Bless our souls. Father in heaven, we thank thee again for thy presence. We bless thee for the good singing. We thank the Lord, the sands of time are sinking. And Lord, dawn breaks on that heavenly shore. And oh, Father, we realize, Lord, that Christ, the Lamb, has all the glory, even in Emmanuel's land. And we pray, Lord, that we might wrestle on. We might, Lord, press onward and upward to that celestial city whose builder and maker is God. Bring you thou would teach us even again this morning. O oh God, bring us into this passage. We thank thee for the studies already. We pray, Lord, that thou would give us that enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. And thou might teach us and thou might show us the way in which we should go. Thou might bring these uh, verses before us as a challenge even to hearts. O oh God, do us good, Lord, to that end. Fill us with thy spirit and power. Give me words that must and shall prevail. Give us those prevailing words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Little does the world think how much they are indebted to the saints of God. The elect for whose sake the days of vengeance have been often shortened, the little remnant without which the whole world would have long since have been made as Sodom and Gomorrah. That is a quote from Charles Simeon, a Puritan of old. And men and women, you can see proof of that before us as we're drawn to consider this morning the intercession of Moses once again on behalf of the nation at large. God was angry with them. He had been angry with them on Mount Sinai, you remember, because of their idolatry and the raising of the golden calf, and he is now angry with them again to the extent that he has said he will smite them, he will disinherit them, and he will make a greater nation of Moses. They had showed contempt. They had been unbelieving and refused to believe God despite the signs, despite the wonders that he had showed to them ever since they had left the land of Egypt and had brought them to being on the very border of crossing into that promised land. But Moses, as before, rather than concede to that offer, rather than to see the destruction of Israel, he prayed for them. He sought that they might be forgiven. And you will note if you look at the words of verse 19, the basis of his plea was the mercy of God. Pardon, I beseech the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And understand, men and women, that's the greatest need of every man. It's forgiveness of sins. We are hearing a lot of what we need in this country and what is needed in the hospitals, what is needed in the schools and all the rest of it. But men and women, the greatest need is the forgiveness of sins. Don't forget that. Nothing else. And he prayed that God might forgive them. Not because of any merit that they had because they had none, but because God was a merciful God. 
And what is foremost in the heart of Moses is God's glory and his word. If he destroyed them, then the Egyptians would hear it. And what they would do would be they would tell the other nations that God was unable to bring them up into the land that he had promised for them. And so the name of God would be dishonored. And to add to that, Moses wanted God to answer his prayer because, verse 17, according as thou hast spoken. According as thou hast spoken. God doesn't go back on his word. It is a good foundation to base any praying upon, not for our glory, but for God's glory and to according to what he has said, what he has spoken. But note that in this prayer, although he prays for God to be merciful, he doesn't set aside the justice of God. Verse 18, you'll notice that. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. God does not forgive sinners apart from Calvary because at Calvary the justice of God is seen. The justice of God is satisfied. And so, dear people, Moses knew that if God didn't disinherit them as he was pleading, then he wouldn't. Yet some form of judgment must come. For the people to realize the great sinfulness of their sin. And that's why we have entitled the message this morning, A Judgment on Unbelievers. I want you to uh, consider with me the causes of judgment. And I uh, trust before we get into that, you see the potential of real praying. Here's just one man. One man prayed to spare the nation. And that should encourage us as the people of God to lay hold of God in these days for his work, for our nation, and to pray effectively. Because God answered and heard the prayer of Moses for one nation. What brought Moses to his knees again in prayer? The cause of God's judgment coming upon them is laid bare before us. You'll notice the problem is noted in verse 22. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, were consider something of that in a moment. But look at the end. And have not hearkened to my voice. There's the problem. There was unbelief in them. And the fruit of unbelief was their disobedience. Israel didn't like the command of God to go forward and to take the land as they're now situated in Kadesh Barnea. They're just within striking distance of crossing over. Israel didn't like that. They thought the task was too difficult for them and they would come out on the other side, that of defeat. But men and women, God doesn't command us to do things which we cannot do. He doesn't give us a burden which we cannot carry. And neither does his commands lead to cursings, but they lead to blessings. What a loss Israel suffered at Kadesh because they failed to obey the command of the Lord. Not only that, but there was their persistence, and we have read of this already in the words of verse 22, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times. They had tempted the Lord. 
ten times over. God had counted the number of times that they had rebelled against him. Verse 27, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me ten times. They had persisted in sinning against the Lord and God keeps a record. And unless that sin is confessed and placed under the blood, there's judgment. And the greater our persistence in sin, then the greater judgment will be. And to add injury to insult, this was the backdrop against the backdrop of their privileges. They had rebelled, they had sinned against the Lord, despite, verse 22, having seen his glory, having seen his miracles, even uh, 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 as he brought them out of the land of Egypt. That amounts to being a privileged people, and those privileges should have caused them to act differently. If the God who caused the Red Sea, I, we could go before that, the God who caused the plagues to come down in the land of Egypt... And yet they were spared from them. And the God had caused the Red Sea to open up so that they could walk across on dry land. If he had commanded now that they should go forward into the land of promise, then they should have obeyed. His power was still the same. He's still the same God. He hasn't changed. And yet they treated his word with contempt. How great and how many are our privileges in the gospel, in this land. We can use the words of the psalmist. The times are fallen on, the lines are fallen onto us in pleasant places. Yea, we have a goodly heritage. We're a privileged people. How God has blessed your family. How God has blessed your home. How God has blessed you with your upbringing. And yet could it be that we're as guilty as Israel here aware with not obeying his command? You see, men and women, we have a responsibility with such privileges in the gospel to our souls. We can go to ever different parts of this world and they don't have the privileges that we have in the gospel. And sometimes we can get very blinkered. We don't see those things. But we have been privileged with a glorious gospel heritage. Now, people are throwing it away. Our nation, our country is throwing it away. Our people are throwing it away. But yet we are a privileged people. With privilege comes responsibility. Israel were a privileged people. They'd seen the signs, the wonders of God. That God had guided them. And come now the responsibility for to obey his command to go forward. Yet they didn't. That's the cause of his judgment. Secondly, there's the candidates of judgment. It was certain that God would judge them for our unbelief and for the rebellion, refusing to go forward his command. They had heard an honest word from Joshua and from Caleb, yet they had chose to accept the exaggerated false report of the majority of the spies. But who would be judged? Well, you'll see the company in verse 29. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward which have murmured against me. That amounted to over 600,000 men. How we know that is because the Lord there refers to a numbering and the numbering is found at the very start of the book and it takes the title of the book, Numbers. 
And so at the very start of the book, there was a numbering of Israel. A census was taken of the males above 20 years of age and upward. And the number was 603,550,000. When that same consensus was taken 40 years later, just before they entered into the land of Canaan, it only totaled 601,730. And among that number, we're given this detail. I know that if you do your sums, the 600,000 isn't shown in that particular figure. But you bring in what it says in Numbers 26, verse 64. And it says, but among these, there was not a man. Not a man of them whom Moses and Aaron the priests numbered when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. Not a man. So there's a decrease in the number overall, but there's not one who was numbered at Sinai. You see, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. God was true to his word. God is always true to his word and will be. And men and women, just to remind you that we're all candidates for God's judgment, but for the mercy of God. You know, there's people who have an idea in their head today that, 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 that they're beyond. They really shouldn't be judged at all. I should be in heaven or going to heaven because I'm a good person. Well, I'm sorry to tell you if you have that mentality, the Bible doesn't teach that. We're all good candidates for God's judgment. We're all sinners, you see, by birth. And but for the mercy of God, we all deserve the judgment of God and His grace. That grace that reaches down in salvation. However, there's also those, not only the company would be judged, but there's also those who were commended. And you see them in the words of verse 30. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein. See if Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun, two just in that age group were to be delivered. Two, just two spared from this judgment of God, that of Joshua and Caleb, two among the twelve spies. Just a small remnant who knew the blessing of God upon them, just two out of 600,000 men. Sin may be popular, you see, but its punishment is greater. And in these words, we're drawn to consider something of this man, Caleb. There are those things which we know already about Joshua. You're going to know a whole lot more about Joshua, even in the book that is named after him. But Caleb is particularly mentioned in this instance for this reason. He was the spokesman of the two when it came to be giving the report. He was the spokesman in giving the faithful word when they had returned. And there are two aspects about Caleb that you're given about in these, verse, in these verses. You'll notice it in the words of verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went and his seed shall possess it. There's two things there. He had another spirit. He had a different spirit to that of the other ten spies. We might say that they were inspired by an evil spirit. But Caleb was led by the Holy Spirit. There's a world of difference between those. 
I wonder which spirit did you follow in the week that is gone? It's either the God of this world or it's the Holy Spirit who resides in your heart this morning. God's Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Are you still in your sin? Following the God of this world. Caleb had another spirit, you see. And so had Joshua. And the second thing about Caleb that you'll see that's pointed out is that about his following. He was in submission to the Lord. He followed fully. He obeyed completely what the Lord wanted. And he did so because he had that other spirit. When God led, then Caleb was found to follow. And that meant going against the crowd as it often will in our lives. It may lead us to trouble with men. Caleb wasn't immune from the trouble. If I can draw you back to the words of verse 10, you will see it. It says, but all the congregation bade stone them with stones. No one had to stone them. But men and women, let me underline something. It's better be in trouble with men than in being in trouble with God. Never forget that. And that applies right across the whole fabric of society. Better to obey God than to obey men. And Caleb got into deep water because he went against the majority. But God commends him here, you see. He had another spirit and he followed me fully. That's why he wasn't part of the judgment that was to follow. Nor Joshua either. Thirdly, what about the course of judgment? What would this judgment look like? Below the course that it took from these words. There's a reckoning here. You know, sometimes God gives, us pe- God gives people what they want. And that was so in this instance. The Israelites had said that they wished they died in the wilderness. And God granted them their request. Verse 28. Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. You want to die in the wilderness? That's what's going to happen. They're going to reap what they sowed. The whole generation would be denied ever from entering into the land of promise. You consider the words that the Lord said there in verse 23. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. They would not set their eyes upon the land that flowed with milk and honey. And all the spies, remember this, even though the majority gave the false, exaggerated report, every one of those spies agreed how good a land it was. And they had evidence bringing back the cluster of grapes on their shoulder. 
Is there not a generation today who are exactly the same? They have heard glowing words about heaven. They have heard glowing words about the blessings of God's salvation for his people, even as we traverse this scene of time. But they will never enjoy those blessings. They will never see or set their eyes upon the beauty of that land that is further than day if they continue to despise God's word, if they continue to despise God's invitation in the gospel. For the Lord said, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Make sure, men and women, young person, that you are not on the wrong side of God's reckoning where this is concerned, as these people were. You see, the direction is laid out for them as well in the course of this judgment because they disobeyed, they were full of unbelief. God gave the direction that they were now to travel. Instead of going north into Canaan, God changed their direction, verse 33, to go south into the wilderness. Your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. They were to go the very opposite way to which they should have been going. Instead of a land flowing and, uh, with all good things, They ended up in a barren wilderness. How awful if God should change the direction of travel all because we do not obey his will. You know, there are believers who failing to obey his word have testified. Some of them are authors that I've come across in my study and they have testified that they are living God's second best. They knew the direction that God wanted them to go. They disobeyed. They wouldn't go that way. And they all know all about the wilderness of disappointment now, the wilderness of despair, the wilderness of regret. They're living God's second best. What's more, God also puts his timeline on this change of direction in the words of verse 33. It would be for 40 years. According to the number of days that they spied out the land, so they would be judged with one year for a day in the wilderness. That timeline began from the time that they left Egypt. And so it would be approximately from this point in Kadesh Barnea another 38 years before they would be on the verge of crossing over the Jordan into Canaan. That meant that one whole generation would pass away before that took place. May we never as a congregation experience the wilderness wanderings, just going around and through the motions. Round and round. Yet not progressing or moving forward to what God wants us to be and God wants us to do. Very easily we can be that. Just going round and round. And yet God wants us to go forward. Why? Because of unbelief. Because of disobedience. Just like Israel. And just before we go on, I want you to see a note about the ringleaders. Look at the words of verse 37. 
Even those men that did bring up the evil report, and well, I should back up into verse 36, the men which Moses sent to search the land who returned and made, made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land. Even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. Those who brought the evil report were singled out for special attention. They died by the plague before the Lord. And rightly so. Because not only did they sin, they brought a false report. They brought a slander on the land, that that land of promise that God had spoken and led out for them. But they also led the children of Israel to sin. They were ringleaders. And so they were condemned while Caleb and Joshua were vindicated. Verse 38 in the report that they give. But... Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunai, which were of the men that went to search the land, lived. They lived. And the little word still is in italics. It's not in the original. You could say it. They lived still, but they lived. They didn't die by a plague before the Lord. Always better to be on the side of righteousness, for that's what God vindicates. That's what God honors. What's more, what follows is a semblance of mourning. What we're going to see in a moment wasn't genuine. They only mourn, verse 39, we've read it there at the end of our reading this morning. They only mourn because they were found out, because they were, they were been judged. Not because they rebelled against the Lord, not because that they were full of unbelief. You see, men and women, what the Savior taught in the Beatitudes that we're looking at in our Thursday night prayer meeting, he said, blessed are they that mourn. It's spiritual. It's mourning over sin. And it will lead to a forsaking of our wicked ways. If that is not the course that you are on this morning, then I plead in Jesus' name that you might repent of your sin this day, even now, and that you might return to Christ and to that narrow way that leadeth on to life. Because the course that you're on is to leading on to eternal damnation. Number four. I've got four points this morning. The coming judgment. You may expect the chapter to have ended at verse 39. Well, we ended our reading there because it's a fairly lengthy reading. But it doesn't end there. What you read in the closing verses is further rebellion on the part of the nation. God has said in the morning they were to turn and get into the wilderness. Verse 40 tells us in the morning they got to the top of the mountain. And they rose up early in the morning and got them up into the top of the mountain saying, Lo, we be here and we will and we'll go up unto the place which the Lord hath promised for we have sinned. You notice a defiant attempt here. They had earlier refused to obey God and enter Canaan. Now, now they were going to make an attempt to do so because of judgment. But it's too late. The opportunity was gone. God had changed their direction. He now forbid them to enter into the promised land because of their unbelief. Learn from them that the opportunity that God gives to obey, His will doesn't last forever. You can't attempt to do His will just when you feel like it. Delay in obedience can remove the opportunity altogether 
and none more so than the invitation of the gospel in the day of God's grace. I want the unbeliever to realize that very solemn thing. There is a day of God's grace for your soul. The Lord says, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Matthew Henry, the commentator, said this, Oh, that men would be as earnest for heaven while their day of grace lasts as they will be when it is over. I don't know when your opportunity will run out. That's why it is imperative as while God's Spirit is striving with you that you might come and seek the Lord. With his attempt to push forward now, it reveals to us that their mourning wasn't genuine. They hadn't truly repented. If they had have done so, then they would have been submissive to what God's will was for them now. Oh, they can acknowledge they have sinned as much as they like, but it's not, it's not repentance if they keep on rebelling. You see the deficient assistance? Moses warned them that their attempt now to enter would fail. Why would that be so? Verse 42, go not up for the Lord is not among you. They had a severe deficiency when it came to assistance. God's presence wasn't there, you see. And the same truth is found at the end of verse 43 as well. The Lord will not be with you. It seems that Israel didn't count much on the presence of God with them, something that was necessary. Is it any different today? You know, people today can think they can live and they go on and they can do their day's work and whatever they want to do without God's presence. They don't know. They never have experienced those words of John 15. Without me, the Lord said, ye can do nothing. Without me. God was not going to be with them. Verse 44 tells us, Neither was the Ark of the Covenant, nor was Moses with them, because neither of them departed out of the camp. And so you have the deadly assault. For a low warned what would happen. Moses said that they would be smitten before their enemies. Oh, if they'd gone up earlier, God's bidding when they were meant to, then they would have been victorious. But now, they were going to be put to the sword. And so it turned out to be. The Amalekites came down. The Amalekites discomforted them. Look at verse 45. The Amalekites came down, the Canaanites which dwelt in the hill, and smote them and discomforted them, even unto Hormah. I trust you see the manner in which they went. I draw your attention to it if you did in verse 44. It says, but they presumed to go up onto the hilltop. They presumed to go up onto the hilltop. Despite what Moses had taught taught them, despite what Moses had warned about, despite telling them that God's presence wasn't with them, but they presumed to go up onto the hilltop. And in closing, I want to take you to that account in Deuteronomy chapter 1 that Moses speaks about this very time. It's very telling. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 43. He says, So I spake unto you, and you would not hear, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, and went presumptuously up into the hill. Again, the word 
presumptuously is used. There's two different Hebrew words there between the two texts, but essentially they mean the one and the same thing. They went up with an arrogance. They went up, lifted up in pride. To them it didn't matter that God's presence wasn't with them. To them it didn't care that the Ark of the Covenant and Moses was still in the camp. They went up anyway. Even though God had ordered them to go south, And Moses had warned them that they would be put to the sword. They went anyway. They didn't respect the authority of God nor his word. And so what happened? Look at the words of verse 44. And the Amorites which dwelt on that mountain came out against you and chased you as bees do and destroyed you in Seir even unto Hormah. That's very vivid. If you've been chased by a, a lump of bees or a crowd of bees, I'll tell you something, there's panic. I'll tell you something else, there's haste. You're not dithering, you're running as hard as you can go. And I'll tell you something else, it doesn't matter where you're running, you'll run anywhere. And Moses says, standing ready to cross over 38 years later from where we are this morning, I told you what would happen and yet you went up onto that hill and you were chased as bees by the Amorites and the Canaanites. Those Israelites were not only slain but they fled onto as far as Hormah. And Hormah is in the region of the Edomites. And the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. It's not a good place to be. How humbling must that track have been back from Hormah to Gadesh for those that were still alive. And Moses says in verse 45, ye returned and wept before the Lord. Young person, Particularly, sin never brings joy. Oh, the adverts will show you that. The PR of the devil in the world is top class. But sin never brings joy. It always returns sorrow and misery. They returned and they wept. But men and women... Christ is described as we've looked at here, Israel. We've seen a very accurate description. We're chased as bees. But Christ is described accurately when the prophet describes him as the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. For he took the sorrows and the sins of his people and he made them his very own when he bore them away in his own body on the tree. You want to have joy that's lasting. And you need to repent of your sin. You need to accept Christ as your sin bearer. You see, God is still the same today. He must judge sin. As he judged the unbelievers here. May God help you to seek the Lord. May the Lord help you, enable you to leave this house this morning with the assurance that Christ has paid my judgment. He has paid the penalty for my sin. My judgment, my sin has been dealt with. Where? 
upon the hill. But that hill is called Mount Calvary. That's where I direct you to. If you haven't already got there. Maybe you're cold of heart. Maybe you're wayward. Maybe you're full of doubt. You need to get back there. You need to get back to that place where you left off with God. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. The Lord bless his word to each of our hearts this morning. For his own namesake, let's sing 434 in closing. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words of with heavenly comfort fraught, whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. Page 352, let's stand as we sing it, 434. Amen. Yeah.
Lord, we thank thee for thy word. We desire, Lord, as we've sung, to be that faithful follower and to be ever led by thy hand. And we pray, Lord, that we might not be those who are guilty of unbelief and, Lord, disobeying as a result. We might incur the judgment of God. We pray, Lord, that I might minister thy word unto our heart. Oh, we thank thee for the one who bore our judgment on the tree. He paid the full penalty for sin. He cried, it is finished. And we pray for those yet unseen. And they will flee today. Oh, we've read how Israel fled as, as, as if bees were after them. We pray for the sinner there might be haste that, that flee to Mount Calvary. Lord, speak on when the preacher's voice is silent. Part us with thy blessing. Bring us back into thy house tonight in thy will. For we pray these things in our Saviour's precious and worthy name. Amen.